Hi, I'm Ellie Kemper. And I'm Scott Eckerd. And we're here to talk to you about the things we love on our new podcast, Born to Love. I can tell you about something I love this week, Scott. Foam rollers. For my own mind, you're not talking pool noodle. Oh my gosh. No, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> a new podcast from Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you there was more to the story behind game-changing events? Get ready for my new podcast, That Moment with Damon John. Every Tuesday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, we'll jump into the personal stories of some of the most influential people on the planet, from business moguls and celebrities to athletes and artists. Join me every Tuesday for That Moment with Damon John on the Black Effect Podcast Network, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Last season, millions tuned into the Betrayal Podcast to hear a shocking story of deception. I'm Andrea Gunning. And now we're sharing an all-new story of betrayal. Ashley Litton was helping her husband set up a business Venmo account when she discovered a terrible secret. I saw a hidden folder, and I opened it. What the hell did I just see? Listen to Season 2 of Betrayal on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The One You Feed explores how to build a fulfilling life amidst the challenges we face. We share manageable steps to living with more joy and less fear through guidance on emotional resilience, transformational habits, and personal growth. I'm your host, Eric Zimmer, and I speak with experts ranging from psychologists to spiritual teachers, offering powerful lessons to apply daily. Create the life you want now. Listen to The One You Feed on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. And today marks the second day that hundreds of subreddits, thousands in fact, have gone dark in response to Reddit changing its API policy, that's Application Programming Interface. This has necessitated the shutdown of several popular apps. So, as a refresher, Reddit put in a new fee system, uh, and the more an app needs to reference Reddit, so essentially the more frequently the app makes requests from Reddit, the more the developer is going to have to pay a monthly fee. And it depends entirely on how many references the app is making collectively to Reddit. Reddit representatives say that this is necessary because increased activity on the platform drives up hosting costs, and the money to pay those bills has to come from somewhere. Developers say the new fee schedule is prohibitively expensive, and that it sure does seem like Reddit is pricing out competitors, which would leave only Reddit's own app standing. In solidarity with these app developers, the moderators of tons of popular subreddits, including the technology subreddit, have gone private for a couple of days. Also, side note, I often use the technology subreddit 
to keep an eye on tech stories for these episodes because it's a very good aggregation site for that kind of thing. You see lots of people crawling the web and finding cool technology articles. It's incredibly helpful if you want to put together uh, a news uh, episode. So uh, what I'm saying is that this is also making me work harder, which we all know I hate. But more seriously, whether this is going to prompt Reddit to change its policy, I don't know. I would actually be really surprised if it did. I think it's going to bring a lot more attention to the issue, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to change things. I think the only thing that would change Reddit's stance would be either if a lot of people just left the platform entirely, which means there would be fewer people to sell advertising for and that would be a huge drop in revenue. Or if there was some sort of official investigation into whether or not Reddit is engaging in anti-competitive practices, that could also force a change. But in the the lack of either of those things happening, I just don't I don't imagine it will change. But I could be wrong. Maybe uh, there will be enough pressure on Reddit to at least have them tweak the policy. We'll have to wait and see. The various announcements that, loosely speaking, make up the Summer Games Fest are wrapping up this week. Microsoft held its event over the weekend, but one thing the company didn't dive into was the fate of the Activision Blizzard deal. Now, as I'm sure most of you know, Microsoft announced ages ago now that it planned to acquire Activision Blizzard, which at the time was weathering a pretty big storm with regard to the company's reputation for a toxic work environment and general tolerance toward harassment and that kind of thing. The plan was to have this deal finalized by this summer. But there have been some notable hurdles. Regulators in the UK have refused to allow the deal to proceed, at least in the UK. They say that it would give Microsoft an unfair market advantage in the sector, particularly with regard to cloud gaming services. Recently, Activision representatives requested that they be able to address this issue when it comes up for appeal with those UK regulators a little bit later this summer. Microsoft reps have argued that the UK is holding things up where regulators elsewhere have given the green light to the acquisition, like the European Union or regulators in Japan. But that argument is going to be a lot harder to make because the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, is now seeking an injunction and a temporary restraining order to block the deal. Okay, you might say, well, didn't the FTC already object to this? And the answer to that is yes. They actually challenged the acquisition late last year, back in December of 2022. But justice moves slowly, like glacially slow. And so the FTC is looking for this injunction to temporarily stop the deal from closing while the challenge to the deal inches closer to actually making it into a courtroom. And it might seem a bit absurd that a major U.S. government agency would have to get a restraining order to put a temporary block on a deal while the actual case to decide if the deal is even legal or not meets court schedules. It does sound a little bit mad, as they say, but that's how it works. On Microsoft's side, the request for an injunction might not necessarily be a bad thing. 
Because if a court denies that injunction, that could give Microsoft a bit of a legal boost, as it were. And company reps, both for Microsoft and Activision, have said they're eager to get this matter to the court because, in their opinion, it's an open and shut case, that there's no unfair market advantage or any competitive element to the deal. So maybe we'll see the deal go through despite all these hurdles. Twitter's new CEO, Linda Yaccarino, sent out her first official communication to Twitter's staff this week. The memo's title was Building Twitter 2.0 Together. Now, you might recall that Twitter's previous CEO, a guy named uh, Elon Musk, revealed aspirations of evolving the Twitter service into a much more robust app, capable of doing pretty much any basic app stuff, including handling financial transactions. In the memo, she wrote, quote, it has become increasingly clear that the global town square needs transformation to drive civilization forward through the unfiltered exchange of information and open dialogue about things that matter most to us, end quote. This seems to echo the message of free speech that Elon Musk frequently uh, stated, uh, but that's a message that's actually really muddled. Because in the Elon era, it seemed like free speech mostly just applied to Elon and to the people he liked, but not necessarily anybody else. And yes, I am editorializing, but what I'm saying is backed up by evidence. I mean, you just have to think back to the time when Twitter suddenly started to clamp down on any tweets that contain links to other platforms like Instagram or Mastodon. Apparently, that speech was not allowed to be free. So... Like when I make these snarky comments, it's not without without reason. Anyway, while I have suspicions as to the sincerity of Twitter's mission, I have to say that our new CEO's communication style is more uplifting and humorous than Elon's typically were. If you read the memo, it definitely feels a bit more uh, supportive on that side. It still says you're going to have to work real hard. Like it's repeating that that little line. But it's it's more like a almost like a pep rally kind of we're all in this together and we can do it as opposed to you will do it or you will suffer, which granted, I'm paraphrasing. But a lot of Elon Musk's messages to employees kind of felt like that. But whether any of this translates into real improvement at Twitter, I don't know. But sticking with Twitter, a user named Alessandro Paluzzi, who describes himself as a leaker, a mobile developer, and a reverse engineer, posted that he found something interesting, a limit to the number of direct messages or DMs you are allowed to send. When you hit that limit, you get a message from Twitter saying, you've hit the maximum limit for direct messages in a single day. Sign up for Twitter Blue to continue messaging. Paluzzi followed that up with, quote, Currently, the limit is 500 per day, but I bet this limit will be reduced when this will be rolled out, end quote. Elon Musk, who still heads up product and development at Twitter, even though he's no longer CEO, indicated that the deployment should happen later this week. So I guess we'll see what the limit is once we get there. Is that going to drive more people to actually subscribe to Twitter Blue? Well, in my experience, folks get really irritated when they're asked to pay for something that previously they were able to access for free. So I have my doubts. And now to talk of Twitter past. 
Jack Dorsey, one of the co-founders of Twitter and the former CEO of the company, alleged that in 2020, the government of India threatened to shut Twitter down in that country. Why? Well, according to Dorsey, it's because farmers who were protesting the government in 2020 were using Twitter to share their thoughts and complaints and criticisms of India's government, and that government officials wanted to shut all that down. In addition, Dorsey says, the government wanted Twitter to censor journalists who supported the protests who, or who called into question the government's positions. Government representatives deny these allegations. They say there were no arrests, there were no raids, there were no shutdowns, but that Twitter had acted in violation of Indian law and that the platform was essentially ignoring India's sovereignty. The matter is a messy one. Twitter initially blocks more than 200 accounts upon direction of India's government, but then reversed that decision after Twitter says it determined there was insufficient reasons to block those accounts and cited India's own free speech laws. India's government allegedly then said failure to block the accounts would result in government raids on Twitter offices and a shutdown. And again, the government reps in India deny those claims. Okay. We've got some more news to cover, but first let's take a quick break. Hoor je dat? Iemand is weer de held van de zaak. Die heeft de bedrijfsprocessen geautomatiseerd met Avans Software. En daarmee werkt weer een organisatie leuker en succesvoller. Want als je alles in één softwareoplossing automatiseert, hou je tijd over voor echt belangrijke zaken. Dus maak je volgende slimme keuze op avas.nl. Succes begint met Avas. Hi, I'm Ellie Kemper. And I'm Scott Eckert. And we're here to talk to you about the things we love on our new podcast, Born to Love. Each week, we'll have a guest join us to talk about something, anything in the world that they love. And of course, you and I also, we get to talk about the things that we love. So it's a love fest of sorts. Total love fest. And to give you guys some background, We met in our college improv troupe. We were hilarious. And here's a fun little fact, Ellie. When you were filming the movie Bridesmaids, you were an actual bridesmaid in my wedding. I was at the same time. I can tell you about something I loved this week, Scott. Oh, lay it on me. Foam rollers. For my own mind, you're not talking pool noodle. Oh my gosh. No. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Listen to Born to Love with Ellie Kemper and Scott Eckert, a new podcast from Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and I've got a new podcast called Hello, Isaac. During my career as a fashion designer, actor, singer, author, and TV personality, I've made friends with many amazing celebrities and experts, and I'm always curious about their paths to success. How did they start? What challenges did they face? What lessons did they learn along the way to improve their lives? On this podcast, I get to share our fun and intimate conversations with you. Some of my friends include Andy Cohen, Margaret Cho, Ben de la Creme, Belinda Carlisle, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and Carson Kressley, just to name a few. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was so great for me. Besides, it was an amazing opportunity and gave me a career, but also in embracing 100% who I was. Being on that show makes you come out to everybody in the world like in one fell swoop. So, listen to Hello, Isaac on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Check out the Your Financial Maven podcast, where we need to change the way we think about money, our understanding of it, and the effects. I'm Samantha Mittman-Besnoff, CPA, and I've spent over 25 years in the accounting field. The Your Financial Maven podcast will touch on all things related to money to help you feel financially empowered. You'll hear from guests all about how money is a tool and the importance of knowing your money. What is money? And I love what you had to say. Money's a tool. Yeah, just like younger years, of course, I always thought of it like, you know, as what can it allow me to do? Like, you know, money if I wanted to travel and just it was more focused about like doing fun things. And like, I never really thought early enough in life in terms of like, what can I use money for? Listen to the Your Financial Maven podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So YouTube is making it easier to qualify for the YouTube Partners Program. This is where you can, you know, implement things like tipping and YouTube shopping, where you can sell your own merch and channel memberships and more. It's really a way of monetizing the the videos that you put up on YouTube. So previously, in order to qualify, you need to have at least 1000 subscribers and either 4000 watch hours within the past year or 10 million views of YouTube shorts within the last 90 days. But now the requirements have been reduced to 500 subscribers plus three public uploads over the last 90 days and at least 3000 watch hours over the last year or 3 million short views in the last 90 days. This seems to favor people who work in short form content because they're more likely to meet the requirement of having three uploads in 90 days. But some of my favorite YouTube channels are producing long form content and they publish much less frequently, but their videos get tons and tons of views, like more than a million views. Their work is incredible. So I'm thinking about channels like Folding Ideas or Jenny Nicholson. Uh, So a startup channel like those might really get make great content and might get lots and lots of views, but it wouldn't necessarily qualify because you wouldn't have the three public uploads in 90 days. However, maybe YouTube also has a process to consider outliers like that. Like if you are garnering, you know, more than a million views per video, it's just that your videos take a longer time to publish because you're, you're making long form content and you're putting a lot of work into them. I imagine YouTube would still consider those for the program, even if uh, on the the face of it, it doesn't qualify. It just seems like it would be uh, short sighted not to. Now, there is a disturbance in the force and by force, I mean the crypto community and by disturbance. I mean, the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission or SEC is taking aim at more than 50 different cryptocurrencies. Why? Well, the SEC argues that a whole bunch of altcoins, which essentially refer to smaller cryptocurrencies that aren't Bitcoin or Ether, don't really count as currencies. They're instead securities. But what the heck is a security? Well, this isn't a finance podcast, but it comes up all the time in tech news. And frankly, I felt the need to brush up on it myself. So I went to Investopedia, which has their own definition, and they define it as, quote, fungible, negotiable financial instrument that holds some type of monetary value, end quote. Thankfully, 
They also give some examples to clarify things. So stock in a company is a kind of security. It's fungible, it's negotiable, and it holds monetary value as determined by the market. A bond, likewise, counts as a security. And so securities, Investopedia explains, typically fall into one of three categories. Equity, which means the security represents some percentage of ownership in something, like a company. Uh, A second type is debt, meaning you can actually purchase debt that other people owe, and then they have to pay you. So you get the debt payments plus, you know, whatever the... the, um, interest rate is. So you get more than what you purchased the debt for. And then the third type is a hybrid between equity and debt. And here's the real kicker. The SEC has the authority to oversee public sales of securities. It has to be regulated. And crypto coins operate largely in crypto exchanges that are operating outside the domain of the SEC. So if the SEC is is successful in saying, yes, these are securities, then they have the authority to oversee those exchanges. And as a result, a lot of crypto exchanges have started to remove the altcoins that the SEC has targeted in various lawsuits because these exchanges don't want to get dinged for allowing unregulated securities deals. Uh, This is actually one of the big things that Binance is currently facing with U.S. regulators. So this could have a very large negative impact on crypto coins, potentially preventing those specific coins from getting funding within the U.S. Mark your calendars on July 11th. The Nothing Company will release the second generation of the Nothing Phone, a.k.a. the Nothing Phone 2. This is the smartphone that can display simple images on the back of the phone. It has some LEDs on the back side of the phone, which is a clear back, like you can see the the innards of the phone through the back. But the images that the LEDs show will create basic designs, like a basic pattern. And nothing calls these patterns glyphs. And those glyphs indicate incoming notifications. And depending upon the style of the glyph, it can tell you what sort of notification it is, like a text message versus an email, etc. Now, the original Nothing Phone got decent reviews, but it wasn't widely available here in the United States. Apparently, the Phone 2 will have more of a reach here in the U.S., And one of the big selling points of the original Nothing Phone was a lack of bloatware. That is, apps that are pre-installed on a device that can be difficult or impossible to remove. Nothing claimed it only included a couple of apps on the device that were necessary in order to operate things like the phone's camera. The underlying operating system of the Nothing Phone is a version of Android that, according to reviewers, was pretty close to stock Android. But we'll have to wait until July 11th to find out how the Phone 2 stacks up against its predecessor and the competitors that are already on the market. And now to wrap up with some recommendations. I've got a pair of articles from Wired to recommend. As always, here's my disclaimer. I have no relationship with Wired, nor do I know the folks who wrote these articles. Uh, they may also be behind a paywall. I'm not certain I have a subscription to Wired. In my opinion, it's, it's worth subscribing to. But anyway, first up is an article titled The U.S. is Openly Stockpiling Dirt on All Its Citizens, written by Dell Cameron. The article details a report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence that shows how various agencies in the U.S. federal government are buying up enormous databases of personal information that belong to American citizens. And considering that's the same sort of shady stuff that folks are worried about with TikTok, 
I figure it pays to be informed about how the U.S. is doing pretty much the same darn thing. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a happy read, but it's an important one. The second Wired article is by Matt Laszlo, and it's titled UFO Whistleblower Meet a Conspiracy-Loving Congress. Now, you might recall from last week, I reluctantly talked about a piece written in The Debrief about a former U.S. intelligence employee who claims to have knowledge of the existence of aircraft that was built by some sort of non-human intelligence. Now, this person hasn't actually seen any of this alleged non-human created stuff. They haven't even seen photographs of it. Instead, they have to rely on second or third hand reports. Anyway, the Wired article talks about how in our current environment here in the U.S., unsubstantiated claims can end up going a whole lot further than they used to. It's well worth a read. On a related note, I also recommend the episode of The Michael Shermer Show. It's a podcast. It's also available on YouTube, and it is called Is the Government Hiding Aliens? Uh, the too-long-didn't-watch version of the answer is no. But Shermer goes into detail as to why people should be skeptical of these claims. Those are my recommendations. I hope you are all well. I'll be back again on Thursday with more news, assuming... You know, news happens. So I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, it's Jonathan Strickland. If you want to improve your productivity and make the most of your time, there's a new book out now called Automate Your Busy Work. Do less, achieve more, and save your brain for the big stuff. Automate Your Busy Work, written by Idakin Tonk, founder and CEO of Jotform, is a must-read for every entrepreneur, business leader, freelancer, or anyone who feels like they just don't have enough hours in the day. Go to automateyourbusywork.com to learn more and get your hands on Idakin Tonk's new book. That's AutomateYourBusyWork.com Hi, I'm Ellie Kemper. And I'm Scott Eckerd. And we're here to talk to you about the things we love on our new podcast, Born to Love. I can tell you about something I love this week, Scott. Foam rollers. For my own mind, you're not talking pool noodle. Oh my gosh. No, thank you for <laughs> clarifying. A new podcast from Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you there was more to the story behind game-changing events? Get ready for my new podcast, That Moment with Damon John. Every Tuesday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, we'll jump into the personal stories of some of the most influential people on the planet, from business moguls and celebrities to athletes and artists. Join me every Tuesday for That Moment with Damon John on the Black Effect Podcast Network, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever wherever you go to get your podcasts.